everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Today we're going to be talking about Psalm 34. The intro to today's psalm tells us that David has just finished essentially pretending to be crazy mm-hmm. before Abimelech while he's on the run from Saul. It worked. Pa- yeah. And uh, the passage reference is 1 Samuel 21. And just a quick side note here, uh, lest there be any confusion on names, um, some commentators say that Abimelech is a general kingly name, which is why in 1 Samuel 21 you see the specific name of Achish as the name of the king. But I just wanted to point that out. So um, first thing I uh, just wanted to share is... Um, you know, when you read through this psalm, I think one of the first things you feel right away is amazement at how David is able to speak such words while being on the run for his life. I think most people who go through what David went through might be in a state of fear, frustration, uncertainty. Um, David, though, seems to be joyfully worshiping God, blessing the Lord. Verse 1, he says, I will bless the Lord. His praise shall be continually on my mouth. Verse 2, he's boasting in the Lord. Verse 3, he's magnifying God, exalting his name. He speaks of God's faithfulness and deliverance repeatedly, and though his situation stinks, um, David is trusting in the goodness of God, and thus he can face dire situations without being utterly discouraged and being defeated. And so we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and it's clear that his circumstances really don't define him. Mm-hmm. So um, verse verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord, he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And I think this tells us about David's experiences in life in general. Right. Um, when David was in trouble, he would seek the Lord in times of trouble. Verse 7, he talks about, you know, just trusting that there's an angel of the Lord who's going to deliver him. Verse 17 talks about, again, you know, crying to the Lord and uh, for help and the Lord will be able to deliver. And you get the sense that this is not a new experience for David. He's actually quite practiced in seeking the Lord, which is why he recommends us to do it. Uh, we know from the Bible, David was delivered many times in the past, whether it was fighting wild beasts, fighting Goliath, and battle after battle against the Philistines. And for David, each difficulty was another situation to seek after the Lord, to find him, um, to grow in his trust for him, um, to see that the Lord would deliver him. And I think uh, one thing to note is not that the deliverance means the dire situation magically disappears, but ultimately he's delivered from the fear of the situation, I think, at least, you know, in verse 4. Um, and I think a big part of that comes from uh, verse 18 later on, uh, where it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Um, one thing David seeks um, repeatedly is just the Lord himself, his presence. And I think as he does so, the calming presence of God really brings peace to his heart. And when we face situations that are dire like this, I think often our first attempt is to fix the situation ourselves, to, to go to ourselves, to, to, you know, to go to human solutions versus going to the Lord. But I think David is teaching us a lesson from his experience. First, seek the Lord. You know, take some time to pray in any situation. Go to him and and you will find that he will save. He will deliver. So, you know, maybe some of you are going through some things right now. You know, go seek the Lord. All right, that's me again. All right, so um, next verse um, I wanted to share about is just verse 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I was also really challenged by um, what David does in the face of evil because I think often the temptation, you know, David's in a miserable situation, Saul's jealousy, the temptation is to fight back, to retaliate. We know David has two chances to kill Saul later um, and make all this pain stop um, being on the run, but he chooses not to. But he realizes to kill another person, to take justice into his own hands, that would be doing evil back. Um, you know, doing evil back towards evil done towards you will just create um, a negative loop that makes it harder and harder to stop. And so, you know, he advises turn away from that evil. Um, Jesus will say the same thing later on in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. He says, when we have enemies, he tells us not to repay them for what they did, but to pray for them and to love them. And let me tell you, that's hard. Um, but what it looks like 
uh, to obey this is to do good, right? Um, to pray for them. If someone wrongs you, perhaps the best way to respond is actually to see if there's a way that you can love them, uh, to do good to them, to even pray for them. Okay, so we'll cover it about half my point there, but I think one thing that's, that struck me was just the active verbs there. It's to seek and to pursue. And I think oftentimes we settle for peace, um, which is actually different. I was struck by here how it seems to imply that we have to actively want it and to choose peace over other things. And I was thinking about our own response to certain things, maybe even things that have happened recently. You know, like Will uh, talked about David's response, but yeah, what about for us? You know, whether it's getting into a relational conflict and wanting the last word in, or maybe having unfair things done and having that desire done to us and having that desire to retaliate. Um, our natural response is not to want to seek peace. We want to win the argument. We want to come out on top. And even uh, then, if, even if we do accept peace as an option, it's more of an option that we kind of, you know, feel resigned to accept, like a lesser alternative. And it still feels like, you know, we're getting the short end of the stick or it feels like it's not something really to desire, to something that we ultimately had to resort to. But as I think about it, peace really is the best way. And that's the, also the model that Jesus modeled for us. And I was thinking about what happens when we don't seek peace. Um, when we choose to forfeit peace, um, well, for instance, if we want to power up, um, we actually end up burning a lot of relational bridges and the division and conflict only gets drawn out. And so for us, it was just a call, once again, to have the same response as David, the same response as Jesus, to turn away from evil and do good and to seek peace, actively seek peace and to pursue it. And I think um, this passage tells us another reason we can turn from evil and to do good is verse 16. The phrase of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Um, God is the judge. He's against evil. He will cut off the memory of the wicked. And later on in verse 21, it says, yeah, the righteous, the, those who hate the righteous will be condemned. And even if, for example, our earthly systems of justice fail, we need to trust that ultimately God will um, stem evil. Um, he will cut them off from this earth. And so when evil is done to us, um, you know, uh, maybe a word spoken unfairly, someone does something hurtful, we don't necessarily need um, to put justice into our own hands. Um, but we, one thing we can do is have peace knowing that we do have a God who is just and who will cut off evil. Don't mind the construction. Um, I was personally very thankful, very blessed for the reminders in verse 17 and verse 19. Verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And first, that recalibrates our expectations, my expectations, and it reminds us that the righteous will still be afflicted and they will be persecuted. We live in a broken world, and sometimes when we try to honor God, we can expect there to be immediate results. You know, we, we did the right thing. We do the right thing and expect a rosy outcome, but that's not how a broken world operates, and I think God acknowledges that, but he also doesn't shield the righteous from every affliction. We still experience them. Not that I'm righteous, but the righteous still experience them for people who do try to follow God. Um, and um, but he promises that he will deliver the righteous from it all and he hears the cries of the righteous in in verse 7 in verse 17 it tells us that as well and it's not always according to our timeline it's not always immediately sometimes we feel like god can't you see what's happening why won't you do something maybe not in the next hour or day or week or month or year but in this lifetime we can still trust that god will deliver us not only in the small ways but also in the greatest way of all because ultimately he does deliver us from it all and gives us the hope of heaven um verse and then just to end, I was just thinking about, within light of different recent events, I thought about verses 21 and 22, shifting gears a little bit. And I thought about how it uses the word condemned a couple of times. It says that those who hate the righteous will be condemned, but those who are God's servants, um, those who take refuge in God will not be condemned. And I was just reminded again that ultimately the most important thing is whether or not we're, we're condemned, but by who? By people? 
Uh, No, it's by God, whether we're sentenced under God's judgment for the life we live and the decisions we've made. And experientially, I think, I thought about how the opposite of verse 21 and 22 feels true. It feels like it's flipped, you know, it seems like those who try to live out a righteous life, who love God and follow his commandments are the ones who feel condemned um, by other people, especially those who don't know God. But I think ultimately, once again, we have to just reaffirm once again that we are living under the judgment of God. And um, just to be thankful that in the end, God says that those who follow him, those who are righteous will not be condemned by him and that we can take refuge in him. Amen. All right. See you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye.